Welcome to the Enlighten Up podcast. I'm Lisa Watson and will be joined by my co-hosts Nicole Frolic and Brian Koenigberg. The Enlighten Up podcast is a weekly show that provides an unconventional and refreshing spin on spirituality, where three friends and weekly guests share informative, fun, and usually off-the-wall conversations. Unlike others, we provide fringe and skeptical viewpoints on all topics, because our experience has taught us that the echo chamber is a boring place from which to learn. So regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, we can promise you, you're going to find a place to fit in here. So we invite you to grab a drink and listen in on our casual, entertaining, and hopefully enlightening conversation. And Enlighten Up is a self-funded podcast. So if you would like to help us to continue to be able to produce, enhance, and expand the show for our audience, then please send your support using the link in the show notes or go to our website, lightenup.us, and check out our merchandise shop where you can purchase merchandise that will allow you to express some spiritual humor. You may also show your support by leaving us a review on iTunes and following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thank you all so much for listening and supporting us. And now let's jump right into the episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Enlighten Up podcast. You are here with Brian, Lisa, and myself. And today we are joined by a new guest, Ian Wilson, who is a private dream researcher and dream explorer who has been recognized by members of the International Association for the Study of Dreams as a pioneer in the exploration of precognitive dream phenomenon. Uh, His interest in lucid dreaming has led to some remarkable experiences that demonstrated some dreams could come true. And these dreams are known as precognitive dreams and often linked to a deja vu experience called deja rave, where during the onset of the deja, the person links the memory to a dream. Ian, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing fabulous. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, it's great to have you here. We actually have not gone into this topic in great detail. So this is going to be um, a really nice first for all of us. So Ian, you are able to um, lucid dream and also you discovered that you're able to, your dreams are actually predicting what's happening in this current reality. How did that all, how did you discover all of that? It just sort of landed in my lap. It certainly wasn't something that I was going and looking for with regards to precognitive dreams. My original interest in dreaming was purely entertainment. Um, I was a young kid, 15 years old. I was at my school library, picked up an Omni magazine, and there was an article written by Dr. Stephen LeBurge called Power Trips, Controlling Your Dreams. And in the article, he discussed this idea that people could be fully conscious while they're in a dream state, just like we are right now, And right now is a good example of our full, realized, lucid self-awareness. Now, I was already having fun dreams. And back in that time, you know, as a kid and a teenager, I always had that fantasy of being able to project into a TV show. And, you know, we we love our entertainment. And I thought, wow, that'd be really great if I could just be in that world. And I noticed my dreams would sometimes pick up these genres of media influences so I could actually be in, like, the world of Star Wars and have that kind of an experience in the dream state. So. I thought being conscious in something like that would be the ultimate in fun. So it really fueled a spark and a passion for entertainment, which brought about within about 48 hours of reading the article, my very first lucid dream. And it was really one of the most amazing experiences that I had at that time, because it was like waking up into a second reality. Because when you're in a dream state, the quality of, let's just say the graphics, the realism, the high fidelity, can be just as realistic as our waking life. 
So it really does present this second life opportunity to have these types of very rich, detailed, and very artistic experiences. Mm, it's like the graphics card in your computer is just like top notch. Absolutely. <laughs> Did you say that was an, an article in Omni magazine? That's correct. I love that. That, that and that's such a great um, example of how there's certain information that can activate us. Exactly. You know, just by yeah, just by reading that article, you were activated and had your lucid dream. So, when you were lucid dreaming, like, what, did you start have doing it every night, or was it were you able to go into that regularly? How did that all become more of a regular basis? Well, it fueled that passion because it was such an exhilarating experience, and I'd never um, had something so intense before. So, of course, I didn't want to stop. Um, I realized it was another place that I could be conscious and self-aware and add these experiences to myself. So, in a way, I felt like I was gaining something from my sleep, not losing out to just the dark amnesic states that most of us go into. Um, so, it was became a nightly process, and it's been a near-nightly process now for 32 years. And in that respect, and a lot of people lose 30% of their overall conscious experience in your lifetime, you're only going to have so much time here. Um, and you lose 30% of that to unconscious sleep. So by participating in these already existing four to six dreams a night, um, I've easily added at least 10 years of dream time or conscious experience during dreams that I otherwise would have just lost in those opportunities. And they've been some of the most amazing and wonderful experiences and, that I've ever had. And that so, time can um, go so slowly. You know, you can, in a dream, you can live, you know, that can be a week. So you, right. you, you can add, you, you're, you're going to live to a couple hundred years old that way. <laughs> it's, it's really phenomenal time in dreams. I do have some experiences where time does stretch and I've been able to capture it. But for example, in my first time I've ever encountered time stretching in a dream, Everything that I've discovered is through this direct experience. So it's not from reading it in books. It's just just kind of falls in place when you're participating in that focus state. Um, so I had one where I went to bed at 8 o'clock in the morning. To, to, I had to work around 11 or 12, so I had time to sleep. And I ended up waking up in a dream, and I was lucid for the entirety of it. But I was a student at an art college, and I also worked at a coffee bar. And I had friends. I'd go to the nightclubs. I'd drink beer. And I had this whole second life for about two weeks I was there. Now, the whole time I was there, I was conscious, but I was just trying to push it to see how far I go. And eventually I thought, you know, this is really weird that I've been here this long. I should wake myself up. Um, I thought maybe something, you know, because you get fears. I mean, I'm prone to the same kind of intellectual anxieties that anyone would get. So eventually I bailed out of it, woke up and thought, oh, I'm going to be late for work. I must have slept in. I don't know how much time that was. And it was only 30 minutes. And then when I saw that, I was like, that is amazing. That was like two weeks of experience. And I think it did help me as an artist because I do remember the life drawing classes and everything. So I, self, I felt that it helped improve me as an artist um, for spending that time there because I never did go to art college. But the, the studies were very valid and very articulate and very intelligent. It's, it was just as real as waking so, life. So, so I it's, had, like adding, it's like adding a double life into your current, like, it's like living si different lives simultaneously. I, I was going to say, is that, it is. do you I think it is actually living in another, you know, on a parallel reality and that you're just remembering that? Is that really what we're doing when we're dreaming? Um, I, I kind of look at it as the universe is astronomical. 
huge. We filter infinity in through a very finite window. And there's all these different focus states. So for me, it's like accessing information. So I look at reality as information. So that information exists in all these different altered states of consciousness that we go through. So all I feel like I'm doing is accessing a stream of information that's encoded to render out that experience, much like a computer game in a sense that you're downloading a data stream from a server and you're creating this interface with it like your browser and now you're interacting with that data as experience. So um, because it comes through in our first person, third dimensional kind of structure, um, it feels like another reality, but it's all the same reality. Everything is completely interconnected. Um, it's just a different information experience. So, okay, what was one of your profound dreams where it was just like the coolest experience that you had in the dream world that was not in this physical reality? Oh, there's just so many. Remember, I've been doing this for 32 years. Do uh, you prefer the lucid dream state versus the earth state, like uh, what we consider real life? Um, it does have its perks. I do have what I call BTL dreams or better than life dreams where I can find the, even the food tastes better. Um, it can really give a different type of experience from here. Like, I mean, it's the only place I can go. Like you watch, say, for example, Game of Thrones and you see Daenerys and she's got her dragons and all those things look really great on TV. But when you simulate that genre in a dream state, um, it's a big difference when you see a dragon pull up to you with the head the size of a truck and it looks as real as it would if it was real in waking life. So it brings about this amazing art. So I do a lot what I call the art of dreaming or shaping our dreams to create this, in this case, a genre specific lucid dream. And that's purely entertainment. And I've had more than my share of those. So <clears throat> treating it like an art, you close your eyes, you see a blank slate, that's your canvas. And what paints that? It's your thoughts. So your thoughts begin to shape and construct and paint the dream state. So I like to approach it with that artistic perspective because fundamentally that's what it is it's a creative process well i need you to teach me how to create the game of thrones genre in my dream <laughs> because <laughs> not only do i love dragons i want to rewrite the ending of game of thrones <laughs> yeah there you go right I think you yeah. and a million other people well and you know i mean I, you, you know you say that in in jest, well, actually, you say that in all seriousness, Nicole. But I, I'm I'm kind of thinking the same the same thing. It's I'm I'm not quite understanding how I execute this. How do I? Because when you when you first started describing how you you know got into it 32 years ago, I was thinking, well, I I remember doing those things. I remember you know kind of lying in bed. And I, and I still do it and I, and I'll have like those intentional waking thoughts or like fantasizing as like, oh, this is what I want to, you know, think about or create. Or sometimes when I wake up from a dream and I still remember it, but I'm awake and it's like, I want to finish it. And I try to, you know, write the ending and it's, it's, it's not quite, it's not quite the same. So obviously for me, I'm not there or I don't think I'm there in terms of creating it and dreaming what I want to dream. But I, I, I definitely resonate with how you are, you know, starting to talk about it because it's, it seems so familiar to me, but I'm, th there must be another step there that is. I'm missing. For me, it took a while 
while I was observing the onset of dreaming. So what got me proficient at it wasn't reading books. I, haven't, I, don't, I don't really read a lot of books because I've discovered a lot of the knowledge that we have is inside of us. It's like we have access to this inner cosmos. And in that inner cosmos, there's information that you don't get here. Um, so by observing the changes into the dream state, I started to notice that my subconscious mind was kind of facilitating the thought process. So uh, I learned very quickly that dreaming was a language between my waking self and my unconscious self. So there was this sort of onion that we are, these different layers of ourselves um, that go from our conscious to our unconscious to even our superconscious or our higher conscious. Um, and our dreams can be a gateway into all of that. But fundamentally, as these dreams would form, I started to realize that they were a thought process. And by using the way to think in dreams, so thinking in visual and auditory and tactile forms would start to influence that canvas, that recursive feedback loop that we create. It's sort of, sort of like a thought reactive canvas when you close your eyes. But there's the wildness of our unconscious mind that most people get into. And in that wildness, so when your conscious self isn't asserting its intention to direct and control and, you know, be kind of the producer of your dream. Um, it'll be your unconscious self that's going to do that. And and that's usually where a lot of people start. I started there. But as I started to observe these processes, I learned that, hey, I can think in this higher organized thought process of visual, auditory, tactile forms, which basically programs the dream experience. So I treated it like kind of a programming language. Um, and in doing that, that brought about all of these wonderful genre-specific loops of dreams. So like I said, I do have two examples on my website that are Game of Thrones genres. I've done, you know, Marvel, Infinity Wars. I mean, I've been doing it for so long. Video games like Borderlands, Skyrim, you name it, I probably dreamed it. Oh, man. Michael would have loved you. World of Warcraft is so much fun. <laughs> Love recreating World of Warcraft. I was actually one of my characters who was an orc, and I was trying to see how well I can simulate. And it's always a challenge. I challenge myself to see how close can I get to certain things with accuracy. And quite often it's just spot on. So I've been very spoiled. I'm very lucky. <laughs> so before you go, what's, what's the process before you go to sleep at night, you think of something, how do you get into this state? Well, it's just a focus state right now. You're in a focus state here. And when you close your eyes, you know, you're going to go through altered states of consciousness towards sleep. Um, so for myself, I always start before I go into my bed and I just prepare myself for dreaming. So the first thing I'll do is say, okay, I'm going to be in this bed. And when I'm there, if the setting changes or anything changes and I'm not in this bed, then I'm going to know I'm dreaming. And you start to program your intention. Then I'll go into bed, close my eyes and go through a series of intent programming or people call them affirmations where I'll tell myself, I know I'm going to be dreaming I'm allowing myself to participate in my dreams because they're already there. You're just now just participating in an already existing ongoing process. And then just cues like I'm allowing myself to remember them in full vivid detail, just like I remember my waking life. And I use a lot of references to how I experience here with contrast to how I want to experience things there with sight, sound, taste, touch, color, and that full sensory array that's available. So I've been able to train my senses and my ability to think in those senses so my dreams can have hot cold taste touch i can even feel bone in my hand it can be very real and seem and appear physical for the time that i'm there but again that's just the power of how profound our ability to think that way is and 
yes, you can exploit it by just getting into the driver's seat of that experience. So as my body falls asleep, I allow the shifts that will come. We go through a hypnagogic shift. It can happen in meditation. It can happen where you start seeing fractal information may start to appear, uh, little specks of light, um, all these very minor cues that the information band is changing. It's almost like going from focusing here to focusing into another band of information, like from one radio station to the next. So you get some noise, and that noise is known as hypnagogic shift. It's like a pre-sleep entry into the dream state. And it can be kind of psychedelic because it can become like a geometrical fractal. Um, sometimes it can just be images of things that you are seeing. If you're playing a video game, you might start seeing the video game characters floating across in the REM screen of your mind. And all those are good indications now that you're shifting into a dream. And so you just allow those processes instead of pushing them away. As if you allow them, then you will allow the dream to form around you. And that's called waking-induced lucid dreaming. Wow, that's cool. That happens to me all the time in meditation. So that's that state, so it, I can bring that into before dreaming. That's right. You'll notice the similarities between meditation and that pre-state hypnagogic mm. shift. So the only difference between meditation and lucid dreaming is when you commit to a dream, you're going to become 100% immersed in that dream, which means you won't have any sense of your body lying in its bed. It's like you're in a new body, your dream avatar. So it's 100% immersion. Just like when you wake up here, you're in 100% immersion. Mm -hmm. And so there's no, um, it's, it's just like walking into a different reality for sure. I would never <laughs> want to get out of bed. One of the worst things that can happen to you in dreaming is you wake up. That's, that's my only warning is, yeah, you can have some pretty incredible dream experiences. And then all of a sudden you can watch the whole dream start to shift and morph quite quickly. It's interesting that process on waking up because the dream can start to waver and break down quickly. And because it's, it's all just a composition of thought. And the next thing you know, boom, you wake up and it's like, oh, and it's a very fast shift. Like you don't have much time. We're talking within a second um, before you know, that dream will end and you wake okay, up. Okay. So that brings up a really good topic because there have been times, um, I'm sure everyone's been through this where you're in a stream and you wake up, you're like, no, that was such a good dream. Like I woke up just before the best part. And so how have you, have you, do you then wonder like, you know, like, wow, it felt so real. Could it have been real? When did you start to realize that you could affect your reality here, our waking reality that we call our waking reality through your dreams. Now that was again, something that I had never read about, you know, back at that age, I was kind of mostly being groomed into being a skeptic. So I didn't believe in psychic phenomena, believe in too much, but I did have some experiences that was, you know, challenging all of that, but we won't get into that. We'll jump into the precognitive elements. So by the age of 16, so within a year, I started noticing I was having deja vu like everybody, but strangely, it seemed like some of those deja vus were linking back to past dreams. Um, so in the beginning, I was like, nah, it's just coincidence. There's no way, you know, like future, how can you predict the future? That makes no sense. But unfortunately, or fortunately, um, it started coming through in a set of waves where it was inescapable. And I was also able to reference some of the events that would take place in my waking life back to dream journal entries and find small little fragments of the 
because it happens in, in events. So it could be maybe two minutes of information from the future. It could be an hour's worth. It really depends on where that focus state's accessed in us to yield that what's dreamt there becomes your waking life here. It wasn't until one key precognitive dream <clears throat> that really sealed my intellectual mind to the true reality that this is an actual real thing. This isn't a delusion or a fantasy. Uh, I really am seeing my future uh, in my dream state. And largely too, because I'm, you know, like everybody, I'm a TV junkie. I've watched a lot of TVs and you know what it's like to watch a rerun or re-go through an experience because you already know things, right? So in one particular dream, um, I was able to review the dream because I was getting cues to see, oh, there are this is like that dream, but it wasn't quite like the dream. Um, people were in different places, even though quite a few of the details were pretty spot on. Um, it wasn't accurate to what the dream was. So I reviewed all the events that were from the dream and tried to match it to what was currently happen happening. And I was like, well, so very cool that the mind could do this guesswork and get this close. But, you know, now I'm looking at the inaccuracies, except the problem was that hadn't happened yet. It was leading to that. And so finally, after reviewing that dream while I'm awake, all the events that then took place in the dream started to sink into place. And then there I was, and I was like, okay, now I can't get out of this. I've trapped, trapped my intellectual mind. Now it's like, okay, I was just thinking about all of this stuff, and now it's happening, and there's just no getting away from it. So that was when I finally just said, okay, I got to figure this out. Why are some dreams coming true? Which led to the next bridge, and that was a lucid precognitive dream. Now, you can imagine being lucid in a dream. It's really a place where your ability to remember and have a higher quality of information and experience. When you wake up, it's very vivid. So by the age of 17, I would have my first lucid precognitive dream. And it was very playful because at that time, I was kind of working with this being of light. But we won't get into that in too much right now. But... Um, it was teaching me a lot about dreaming, so I was kind of maybe a guide or something like that. I didn't know what it was, but it was just there, and it was intelligent and seemed to have information. And so it opened up a two-dimensional window after asking me what I would like to experience. And I told it I'd like to experience people setting aside their religious, social, and political beliefs just to enjoy each other's company. And the being's like, very well. Opens up this window in the dream state, and I see myself on a beach from a bird's-eye view. And by this point, I've already gone through these types of processes of like, you know, entering into another dream by going through these little windows. So I just projected my awareness from there into the avatar that I saw of myself in the dream and went through that sort of requested experience from this, you know, perspective. So during the time I'm, I know I'm dreaming and it all plays out and it was a lot of fun. The event comes to an end and I return back, thank the being, and then I wake up. <clears throat> so I was 17, I remember it was just my graduate year. I was in my English class and I was thinking about that dream. I was like, well, you know, it would be nice if life was more like that. But the truth is life is more like that. But just, you know, me being a kid. So I graduate and then my friends want to go celebrate graduation by going down to the beach, roasting, you know, marshmallows and stuff like that. And found myself walking right into that lucid dream. So the location where I saw myself when I stepped into that from you know, because everything now comes into continuity of time. Um, the moment that my foot kind of stepped where I was in that dream, the same level of lucidity came, and uh, I knew 
at that point that I was now in that particular dream and it was now my waking reality. So it was the first time that I could see definitively that my waking world was directly related to some process in this dream world, that they were both the same focus states, just strangely now completely merged together. So it was a really profound precognitive dream. And all the events took place just as they had in the dream. And then when I had ended my awareness from the dream in that state, that, you know, you get an aura, like a deja vu aura. Um, and it was like the most intense one I ever had. Um, the moment that I was no longer focused in the dream, you know, and it ended, well, time here continues. So all of that just dimmed down. And I was suddenly like just released from it. And I was like, oh my God, that was the most amazing and terrifying experience I've ever had. And uh, so that set me out to start studying precognition through lucid dreaming. When you say the deja vu aura, are you talking about like you felt this kind of energy around you the entire time you were experiencing the lucid dream in your waking dream? And then as soon as that lucid dream part ended that you remembered and you're just back in like you're now discovering new things that weren't part of the lucid dream that that aura disappears that's right it's sort of like that pins and needles feeling it's a heightened state of awareness okay okay very interesting you mentioned a, a dream journal is that a key part of starting this process is keeping a dream journal i think it's very important because it helps with memory there's three cognitive areas that we go into atrophy if we're not participating in the dreams, and that's kind of our bad habits. And the most important one's memory. Most of us go into a state of sleep-induced amnesia when we sleep, so we're not remembering the dreams we're having. We're still having them. Um, everybody has about four to six dreams a night, but most people have opted out. So that just becomes a blank slate. And really what it is is, first of all, memory. Um, so it's happening in an unconscious state of amnesia. So writing a dream journal helps to train your mind that, hey, this dream information is important to me. I want to pay attention and I want to remember. And so you start developing and strengthening your ability to recall dream information. So um, it brings it out of that atrophy and you'll start having stronger and more visceral and vivid dream memory. The next thing is... so. So a dream, so a dream journal is when when you wake up, you immediately write down as much as you can remember. It's is is that as yep. simple as it is. Absolutely, and you'll find too once you start that process and start getting more dream memory, um, it's like any training wheel it doesn't become a requirement in the future because now you've adapted and trained yourself to have sure. that skill. Um, the next thing is perception. So as we know, some people can dream in black and white; they don't get the color. Other people may actually only dream in sound. Some people may just dream in images. Um, others may not have any sense of taste or touch. So we have a deficiency in our perception. Um, and again, this is just another form of cognitive atrophy. So you can work on improving those qualities by, I do all day awareness to help condition and train myself for improving my perception in dreams. And you kind of want to get to that full sensory state because that's when the dream really gets interesting and takes on that quality of realism that rivals being here. And finally, it's awareness. So our awareness as well suffers from a certain amount of atrophy, and that's your level of lucidity. So a lot of people end up being in an unconscious trance-like state in that deep immersion of dream reality. And for most, they think during that time that it is reality. 
unquestioning it until they wake up and then go, aha, that was just a dream. But the time that most of us are there, and the funny thing about dreams is we don't realize we're dreaming. So the level of awareness... Are you dreaming right now? <laughs> well, that's something that you'll have to go through your own process of self-edification to come to that knowing. Did you did you lose a dream this podcast so that you could alter what we would say on the show no. with you? <laughs> um, it's, it's a rare thing. I'm not gifted enough to do it consistently. Um, I, I tend to have maybe one lucid precognitive dream now in a year. But when I was, you know, but my lifestyle's changed because I took on a career as a software engineer, you know, became a father, take on a lot more responsibilities in life. And it chiseled away at my ability to have 12 hours sleep a night to down to about four hours sleep a night. So, you know, it's not as easy when you get into the hubris of a busy life. Um, I still manage to lose a dream, but the quality sometimes isn't always there. And quite often now I'm more interested in doing things like simulating Games of Thrones. I've gone back to the entertainment because I've gone through all of that. Um, the, epiph the epiphanies that were required, like for example, with the lucid precognitive dream, um, that all took place leading up to 1998. So we're talking over 20 years ago. Um, I started wondering, could I change those dreams before they came true? And what effect would that have? Would I be able to see those changes here? Now, it was about eight years since my first lucid precognitive dream, and more would follow but they wouldn't be where I was trying to exert any form of influence or control over the dream content at that runtime experience. But my curiosity started to wane the question, can we actually change them? What would happen? I, I didn't know. Uh, so I set out to start mapping the different focus states in the stream spectrum, and I kind of dubbed the focus state that I wanted to get to to give it kind of a handle or something that my intellectual mind could grasp. I called it the precognitive layer. So I just started targeting that precognitive layer. So when I'd go to sleep, I'd start thinking about all these deja rave dreams and the feelings, the, the identity based on those encoded feelings of what that must be or where that must be. And that seemed to kind of help. And so what I started doing was leaving little breadcrumbs, so to speak, or footprints in the dream by changing the dream topology and to do that, I was using dream control to put, say, a triangle or a square or something on the surface of the dream just to see maybe if it's a precognitive dream, maybe by doing that, that would happen here. And eventually it led to that point where that did. And a good example of that was when I was working at a movie theater in Penticton, known as the Penmar. It's no longer there. Uh, it's now the Landmark Cinema and the buildings moved. But during that time, and that was back in, I believe, 1998, around May, um, I just found myself in a dream where I recognized my workplace that I was in, and it all seemed to fit my waking life pattern. So again, I just seized the opportunity, because it's kind of just an opportunistic thing, um, to then try to change the dream. And the quickest thing I could come up with was I was already training myself to put these geometrical shapes on the dream surface. So I saw a co-worker and I focused on him and I put a triangle on his forehead just to mark the dream. Um, and then, of course, from that point, it was maybe, you know, one or two minute window of opportunity before the dream shifted into another dream. Well, needless to say, I was successful and I found out in the same way of that first precognitive dream, uh, lucid precognitive dream, as time starts to sync up to that event, 
I found myself at work and I started recognizing the similarities and the cues. And what was interesting in waking life is now because I had already gone through those motions in the dream state, all I was doing now was going through the same motions. So I moved right into that focus state and carried forward with my intention, ended up doing the same thing I did in the dream. And sure enough, the triangle formed on my coworker's forehead, much to his surprise and the surprise of others there. And, uh, like what was it like a black marker that was no it was it was kind of it came out almost like um a reddish triangle like it was almost like a um, like the capillaries like of the skin mark. kind of okay <laughs> yeah yeah, kind yeah, of, yeah but it was you know permanent it kind of it was there for the rest of i think he probably still has it to this day i haven't met him in oh, quite a few oh my years. gosh <laughs> but i have a photograph of it and i have a write-up from him about his experience and uh Whoa. that was one i i also did one on my left hand kind of as a string on a finger to myself because you know i'm very aware of the nature of our psychology and immersion which means at some point in my future i thought i might forget all this or i might you know move into certain patterns where this is no longer a focus and i said i need something on me to have where i can go back to that reference and know you know that that happened so I did one on my left hand and still have that there today. And I have that on my website as well under the evidence page. And uh, that's just my string on my finger for those experiences. And I think the most profound one to me, which really rocked my world, um, was again, uh, I had kind of gone through all of this and wasn't necessarily pursuing it anymore. But quite often in a dream, you do what's called a reality check. And the reality check is when you assert that you're dreaming and you change the dream as a confirmation. So in one particular dream, I should have known better. I was uh, in an area that was very similar to my waking reality, but I knew I was dreaming. I just wanted to prove it to myself. So I focused on this cloud that was um, floating over, you know, the other side. And it was fairly large, a cumulus cloud, maybe about a couple of football fields. And so I just made it form a triangle. No big deal. It's a dream, right? Like, I mean, when you're there, it's easy. Um, and so I was quite satisfied with knowing that I was dreaming and I wasn't really interested in doing anything else, but just being there. Um, but that seemed to have also been in this particular focus state that's linked to precognition. And I just, I remember being at my friend's apartment and we're hanging out and next thing I know I'm walking home and I'm walking on that same path that leads to that. And it's the same thing. Once you catch up to that moment in time where it all sings together, I, I went through the motions of that, but now I'm in waking life and that same event took place and then sure enough, the triangle formed in the clouds and I was just like, okay, this is really potently powerful stuff. And, uh, and then it also satisfied my, my personal query, can this be done? And, and it was really that event that I went, well, you know, I gotta be careful with this too. I don't want to do anything too disruptive. So I kind of stopped pursuing it at that point um, because I felt I got the answer I was looking for finally to a level where I just was very satisfied that yeah you know this is uh this is showing me this covert relationship between dreams and reality that our waking world is in fact you know a part of this dreaming process um you mentioned that you were uh are you you are a software engineer and you've mentioned you've mentioned a couple of different games uh please tell me that you're you know using this and you're like a a software engineer for for making games i wish no unfortunately business applications more boring than games but i tried well to have them. you have you thought about making like an app called deja rave and to help train people how to do this i, I would to love use your... to have the time to do that but unfortunately mm. i'm pretty married to you know this i've probably written 
oh, over 2.5 million lines of code for this business application that I'm developing for a company to kind of just drive all its inventory, sales, payroll, and all that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of like a marriage. <laughs> I'm pretty married to it. So well, my time is quite limited. This information, though, that you've discovered is quite, like you said, potent and powerful. What does it mean to you when you realize that you have the power to literally manifest things in this reality that aren't supposed to be there technically? Well, for me, I'm always about truth. And I'm, I'm different than I think most people because I like to have answers through direct experiences. So for me, it was really more about answering a question than it was having control or power. Um, for me, I think the only true power that I value anyways that I see as being fundamentally powerful is love. Um, and that's, you know, for me, I think far more appropriate when it comes to what power I pursue. Um, that's, that's a big one. The other thing too is there's a lot of maturity. I mean, there's so much more than just these events that have shaped me as a being. Um, I go a lot deeper beyond just this dream relationship um, that goes well into, you know, being more than just a human focused in this per current focus state to, like all of us, threaded into this omniverse of the self. So I don't just see it as, you know, just this waking world that I'm participating in. And I think all of us are participating in a much larger reality and not so aware of it. But for me, it was just a part of my self-edification, just to have a knowing and an understanding that there's so much more going behind the scenes in our reality, reality experience. That, you know, it's very much um, based on this creative process um, that our waking lives are fundamentally a form of dreaming. Although many people wouldn't come to that epiphany, um, it's easy, it would be easy to believe that without having any direct experience to educate you to that actual truth. But, uh, and that's why my website is You Are Dreaming. It's not a play on words, it's quite literal. Um, it's an actual statement. And very few people, I think, connect to that. But it's the people that have actually had direct experience that kind of helps them lift the veil and come into that higher consciousness or that higher knowing that there's a much more personal and intimate relationship we have with not just reality, but each other um, that also gets addressed in these dream experiences. Did you ever have a dream, like a lucid precognitive dream that didn't have a great, good outcome in the end? Well, I did have, it wasn't lucid, but I did have a precognitive dream where I was um, driving on a snow snowy road that wasn't groomed. I was the first car on it. I had my daughter in the back seat in the dream and I had turned down a hill and of course unknown to me there was black ice underneath the snow so my car couldn't stop and I slid down this hill like just like being on a slide out of control and this white pickup truck because it came to a t-section um, smashed into the driver's side of my car crushing me and I woke up instantly and so now this was back I think around 2012 um, on that time and I, so I was like, hey, that was a pretty uh, realistically scary dream. And I knew at that time, I would, because we don't have bad winters here, so I usually have just all seasons or maybe in this case, I would have had two winters and two all seasons mixed on my car. Um, but I thought you know, if that was a warning from the dream state, how can I get myself out of that 
event because you know everything just kind of eventually leads to it and syncs up um so i thought maybe if i go and buy brand new winter tires with studs for the first time ever so i've never owned studded winter tires that might change the circumstances and so i'll just get that as an insurance thing just to see um i don't know if a dream is going to come true that's one of the catches is you just don't really know until it actually really does happen that becomes its own evidence um so i don't weigh in on any dream that i have as being potentially the future um because i dream far more than just that it's it's you know if you got inside of my dream state it can be like i say weeks of dream information and not all of it's going to be precognitive um, yeah, it's like a finding small, a needle in a haystack. It's a very those are those little gems that pop up. You see, that it's not the it's not the status quo. It, if it was the status quo, that'd be very very interesting. But it's nice that it's sort of salt and peppered in just little pieces here. And well, pieces you know what 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 comes to my mind, especially when you were talking about that uh, the cloud that you made, you know, to to be in a triangular shape, and then you you found yourself walking home. I mean, and we've talked about this a lot on on the show infinite possibilities and that's just one that was one possibility if you would have like if if your buddy would have said hey stay for an extra beer let's go get dinner and you wouldn't have found yourself walking down that's that right. street and, and 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 into that so maybe more of your dreams if not all of your dreams are you know i mean if again just look at the possibility that there there are infinite possibilities and i'm dreaming and by robbing a bank, who who knows? Maybe I I did or can or if if the right things happen, it's it's going to happen, and 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 that makes it you know precognitive. That's right. I, I write about probability in my theory of precognitive dreams, and I wrote that paper after um, the one particular dream I was just talking about because it did come true. I did end up in that same scenario and end up being on the same hill, but this time because of the studs. It was the only difference in the dream. I could hear them scraping on the black ice. I was able to stop a foot past the stop sign instead of sliding all the way through. And the white pickup truck went in front of me this time. And, uh, you know, it was, again, one of those, like, I, I just felt such a huge sense of gratitude for this whole process because it, you know, I'm probably, you know, you're talking to a ghost here. I probably wouldn't be here now had I not changed those circumstances. So wow. I wrote the theory of precognitive dreams and just put it on on academia for free. And it's been out there uh, just for anybody that has these types of experiences and just kind of wants to have a reference to somebody like myself who's done as much homework as I can just by myself. I mean, I'm kind of a lone wolf in this. It's not like I have a big support group, uh, support group of one <laughs> resistance from many around me, but that's just the way it is. I don't worry about it. Uh, I'm very satisfied with the results, but it's exactly that. So probability we do see, and I've seen it quite often in my dreams as well, we get into these threads where you can have a branch of precognitive dreams that you might think will come true, but because now you kind of have that foreknowing, you can make a change now, and that whole entire thread can then truncate and another probability band will kick in um, because our future isn't deterministic. And I know I've talked with a lot of people who suffer from precognition. And when I say suffered, they don't like it because they feel that their life is just a movie or a script and they have no free will. It's all predetermined. It can appear that way, but that's not the case. It's probabilistic. So we're kind of living a choose-your-own-adventure book story here. And the choices we do make can lead to different chapters in that story. So there is, you know, with our limited amount of choices that we have, a way that we are directing our life experiences um, into different, you know, actualized 
events versus the probabilistic events that can kind of be all those potential infinite outcomes. I love those books as a kid. Yeah, me yeah. too. <laughs> so here we are on our choose our own adventure. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned to me, um, Ian, that you remember, you remember um, not wanting to come back into this life or um, existing. Sorry, you remember existing before this life? Absolutely. And um, that's probably why I'm where I'm at now in this lifetime is because um, before I became who I am today, I did come from a certain amount of continuity from another lifetime. Uh, it was a, a shining moment because I was drafted into a war and it was most likely World War One. a very young guy. And like most people that are in those types of um, scenarios, I took a round to the head. And next thing I know, I'm watching my view, my perspective of what we see collapse almost like a cathode TV ray to a single point. And something happened where my focus shifted and I was suddenly looking at the battlefield, uh, no longer in a body, but in a state of shock. So afterlife shock, because I died. And this being of light came down and ascended from like, you know, I could see the sky and I could see, the, you know, everything as if I was there real. Um, and it basically used almost like a tractor beam, just an energy and lashed onto me and lifted me up through all these layers and straight up told me, you died. And uh, told me other people <laughs> no, there. No making nice about it. It's going to cut yeah, to the chase. <laughs> business. No, no sense messing around. And like you, these two, these people too have died and they're processing through it. And uh, so, you know, I could see other people that were also kind of like, what the F? <laughs> you know, it's a very what the F moment for us. And so, you know, kind of walks me around a bit until we get to this one particular state. And um, I've gone back there. It's, it's just really kind of a cool thing. So at the time now, you got this is before I became human. So these are, these are memories that came into this lifetime. I'll explain how that happened. So this isn't something that while I'm in this lifetime, I went back to. This is this is that continuity. It, was be, it would be like you being here right now and suddenly you die and you're like still very conscious and you're like, well, crap. And next thing you know, you get shoved into another lifetime and there's no break from it. There's no cleaning of the slate as much as that happens, but we'll get to that. So this being then takes me to this place and it, it feels like I'm in water. And, and the nice thing about the afterlife is that you kind of simulate just like your dream body, right? And you, you're kind of creating that because it's what you know, how you are as a body there although you're not, obviously you're not a body anymore, but I think it's just to make us comfortable. So you simulate your body there. So I had my hands and whatnot, and I reached into what I thought was water, and I pulled up these translucent gray uh, cells that were about the size of a dime. They were flat, and I didn't know what they were, and I was still in a state of confusion and shock, and I could feel this energy coming off of them, and I put them back in the water, and the being, of course, goes like you. They too are waiting to return to life, and that's when I came out of the shock and suddenly realized, oh crap, this thing's sending me back there. And then I was like, no, I don't want to go back. It's crazy down there. Everybody's killing everybody. I don't want anything to do with it. And the being was, well, this time it's going to be different. You have to go back. And I was like, no, I don't want to go back. But it doesn't give you much of an opportunity. All of a sudden, this I call it the blender. And it's kind of like this portal or a tunnel that's composed of fractal geometry which is interesting because it links to things like our hypnagogic fractals and things like that so there's that, that at play 
and pushes me into it. But when I go into it, hence the blender part, it tries to, as I call it the second death, strip away that personality, clean the slate. So I just felt like it was almost like glass breaking, really hard to describe. So all of a sudden, not all my memories just became shattered and little fragments just floating away from me. And I was like, no. And down this tunnel I go and I open my eyes and I see this woman with long black hair looking at me. And now this is obviously I'm a baby and probably like a baby chair. And it's my mother in this lifetime looking down at me. And I close my eyes and I go right back up through the tunnel, right back to that being just as fast as it pushed me down. I'm like, why'd you send me back now? I was angry, really pissed off. I didn't want to go back. So it was very much a contention of wills. Now this is at, a, you know, my first waking memory is in this lifetime is you know a crib memory not a toddler or anything like that but it kept pushing me back and i'd keep going back back and forth and you know now i'm starting to get sucked into my waking life here and the process kind of went on until i was about five years old so you know at that time it'd be like having out-of-body experiences um so i did a lot of contesting but by doing that it imprinted those memories into this current life where they were inescapable so it's not like it's a belief system to me that i existed another it's a very known thing for me i've always known wow so when we get like stripped of our memories so that we can have a pure experience here for whatever lessons we need to learn there's literally a tunnel <laughs> that we go through <laughs> yeah. well remember the interesting thing about all these processes is that they are kind of subjective so i we're interpreting data through what we know so however that data gets interpreted can be different for other people. But I've talked with other people that have gone through the tunnel. Like, and they, they get it. The people that have, do have some memory, like I went through the same thing and the and they like the reference to the blender because they felt the same, you know, the second death, the stripping of your last personality and ego. Now, but before we get everyone scared, like, oh no, I'm going to get deleted and, and shoved into a new life. Um, <laughs> in this lifetime, I've gone back through all of that. I've returned back to the being now when I was older. Um and not in a state of fear and not in a state of fighting or conflict, but just curiosity. And I didn't manage to ask it, why did you send me back? And it was like, why do you think it was, you know, from that lifetime? He goes, why do you think it was just those two lifetimes? And it just connected me to this larger array. And I suddenly realized that it was a lot of lifetimes. So I started remembering in the same manner of, of that one. It would be the same thing too. Like if you're in another life, maybe three life generations down and you're coming back to this podcast as a memory. Um, the only way you can kind of trust it is that you'll just come into that knowing like, Oh yes, I remember. Oh, there it is. That's, that's, that's what it was. So um, all of our lives aren't lost in the system. So, you know, it's just set aside and it's set aside for deep immersion so that you're not being influenced in this lifetime from, you know, perhaps a very traumatic life, you know, um, and carrying over a lot of the guilt and griefs and things that were accumulated then because they're not relevant in this particular lifetime. You see, every new life that we have is just a new continuity of the self in experience. So it's not that bad. So we can come back out of the immersion, and come back into this knowing and connect to our, what I would say, the best metaphor is your higher consciousness or your true self, you know, um, the only thing that I look in all of that is like, what's the one constant variable? Because there's a lot of change, right? The only thing that is constant is what I call the immutable self. You know, the, you know, you, the awareness, the I am, 
know, it is unchanged and all of that just merely evolving. So that's kind of our infinite or eternal or absolute self. It, it's just, it's so interesting that you, for five, the first five years of your life, you were resisting this life. Mm-hmm. I wasn't bowing down to the immersion and I still don't. <laughs> um, but at the age of five, it was interesting because I remember being at my parents' house. They built a house on uh, in Penticton on Greenwood Drive and it was their first house and I was in the bathroom there. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror as a child. And But I always had this other identity of my former self. And at this time, it felt like it was looking over my shoulder and it was like, yeah, okay. I guess I'm this kid now, so I may as well just be this kid and it let me go. <laughs> oh, and literally just kind of, and the same thing, it's like these weird auras or these heightened senses of awareness were there. And when it released to let go, um, all of the struggle and conflict and all that kind of stuff that I was going through, reliving the trauma of dying and all this kind of stuff just ended that day. It was just like, no, suddenly I was just another kid. Oh, well, it now makes so much sense it. then why you love the lucid dreaming and this idea of like picking genres because you don't feel like you got to pick the one you really wanted in this lifetime. So now you're just like picking and choosing all these different ones that you get to experience. I'm just being a bit more of an artist Yeah, with it all. Yeah having a bit more fun. And the other thing, I mean, these things kind of, for me, really wake me up to, you know, what do we really get in life? Because, you know, I've had lives where I've been affluent and wealthy, and I don't take that with me when I die. You only ever really take the relationships you have with other people. So those times that you wish you just spent a bit more time with that person because you care about them, that's important. Because those are our gifts in life, is the relationships we have with each other. And that's the only real value that comes from all of this, is that we're all part of this unified field of consciousness. We're all very much another way of looking at it is that we, we came from oneness a conscious singularity that has always existed that doesn't know you know time and space are just like nothing to it it, it creates time and space but it doesn't know when um, and we're all parts of that um, so we're all like cells in a body we came from you know and we see here the kind of the, the conflict where the toe cells don't like the finger cells and they don't identify that the, we're all aspects of each other we're all from this oneness so you know Coming from that war, I also realized, you know, you're not killing another person in this world. You're killing yourself. You know, you're killing an aspect of you. And so it does come with a real big ed education of interconnectedness and oneness. And that that's not a figment of our imagination. That's the literal context of what we are. We are a unified field of consciousness and expression. But we are all parts of a whole. And uh, another good example is I returned back to that lake. I was at the Monroe Institute a few years back. And, of course, they study being conscious during sleep. And I had a lot of fun there, a lot of really great experiences. But one of it was returning back to the lake. But instead of seeing these gray, dimly lit cells, all I could see, as far as I could see, were beings of light in the astronomical numbers that we had all evolved and grew up into. Beautiful, loving things that, you know, the end game of what we're doing here and how it evolves our quality. So I was quite thrilled to see that. You know, there's an end game in it all that's quite beautiful. You mentioned that you've had one encounter. What encounter have you had? Oh, that was interesting. That was back in um, when I was 14 during the Parasite Meteor Shower. And again, it was the only time I had an experience like that that I am conscious of. I don't know if anything's ever happened because, you know, apparently they can happen when you're not conscious. But there was only ever one. It was interesting. I was with a friend, uh, 14. We were sitting in 
his father's truck and we I just had noticed something in the sky that just struck me as being odd. I mean, it wasn't a meteorite, it wasn't moving in an arc or anything. It had moved backwards from instead of inwards towards the earth and it kind of looked like it may have been a triangular shaped object. And uh, but it sat there now looking more like a star but moving in a circular pattern. Pointed it out to my friend just to get validation if he could see it and sure enough he did. And as we were observing it, both thinking it was quite odd. Um, it seemed like it shot something out of it. So you see this little white streak come out and we're like, whoa, which is really cool. We got to find out what that is. So we got out of the truck because our parents had moved on to go. There was a lot of people there with telescopes and whatnot um, observing the meteor shower. So we just found some random adults and they had a telescope and we wanted to get some confirmation that that's not a star, that there's something weird in the sky. there. And so they look at it and sure enough, they're like, yeah, you know, this is not normal. And these are adults and our parents. And again, that things seemed to shoot something out and it seemed like it almost came down um, not too far from where we were and really fast. So, you know, the grown-ups were like, hey, you know, did something just land over there? We didn't know. I mean, it, was, it all happens quite quickly. And so they're like, well, do you want to just go for a walk and just see if something's over there? And, you know, young kid, nothing better to do. Why not go on this walk with complete strangers into the woods? <laughs> so off I go on this uh, cattle trail with my friend and these two guys and, uh, it started opening up to a clearing and the weirdest thing we bump into things that weren't human. Um, they were, uh, about three of these. Now what was interesting is they were almost, I don't know if they were at a different frequency or had a cloaking technology, but they were translucent. They were almost stealth, um, with partial invisibility the light was refracting. And that's how you could see when they moved, they kind of, um, could see them but they're almost like they were etheric or ghost-like but i'm thinking maybe it's a technology i don't know i really don't i can only speculate on it but needless to say we all saw them because uh, they didn't seem to be you know obviously they didn't hurt us or anything but one just touched me on the shoulder and as soon as that happened i freaked out and got scared and so my fight or flight instinct kicked in and i ran screaming and they ran screaming and we all <laughs> ran back to the base camp and we were like what the hell and and you know, of course, I discovered quite quickly, you can't really talk about those things, even to your parents. Um, nobody, because they, obviously they aren't there. You know, when, when you have a direct experience, it kind of gets hard to ignore the evidence, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I mean, that event was real and it took place and it only ever happened once. But it was, uh, I think, something that helped me with lucid dreaming because it kind of showed me, hey, there really is something else going on here. Uh, we live in a lot of limited beliefs. I can get quite deep into what I think are some of the big problems affecting us while we're here and that's belief is a big part of belief in place of knowledge and the immersion and the amnesia that we get those are three areas that everyone could try to work on and improve but yeah it was um it was quite profound and i always have regretted running because i don't have a lot of information as to what they are where they came from i didn't stick around to get questions answered i just got out of there and how, uh, i've tried how going big back were they? were they short um, and tall no they were probably about five six-ish they weren't like super tall but they were definitely thin body you know oval shape heads thin neck and uh you know it, they weren't human now as to what they were I, I can assume that they're alien but still they could be maybe a spirit i don't know i really don't have enough information but i'm going with alien because of the craft in the sky and it just makes more sense that these are you know something that came from up there not down here and i've never seen anything like that again in my life uh, I've gone, I've gone out looking for them and over the years just gave up because, you know, that's just one of those, for me, at least once in a lifetime experiences, but I don't know if I'd run this time. 
But uh, again, the opportunity has never come back around. So <laughs> I think now I'm mature enough that I'd probably ask a few questions as long as they don't, you know. So when you said you ran screaming and they ran screaming, are you talking about the people that came with you? Or are you talking about yeah, the aliens? No, the aliens were all pretty. I had this vision <laughs> of all everyone, like the aliens, everyone just screaming and running on opposite directions. <laughs> exactly. No, they they were the ones that were the calm, level-headed beings. <laughs> we were, the ones that were like, but I mean, it's not fair. We, I had no idea. I mean, how do you prepare for something like that? You just can't. It's just one of those things that, like, a lot of these things that I've experienced, lands in your lap, and you just deal with it. And, uh, yeah, it. I don't regret it. I mean, I think it's um, something that I do. I appreciate having that experience for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And it just shows me at least that there is a lot more than just Earth. And obviously there is. We look at the universe. It's massive. It's old. It's ancient. Had a lot of time to develop other, you know, intelligence besides, you know, and I wouldn't put all of its eggs in one basket on Earth, I can assure you, <laughs> in a place where there's nuclear bombs. This isn't the best investment for, you know, a developing civilization. So, you know, you, you don't put all your eggs in one basket. And the universe certainly hasn't done that. Quite populated and teeming with all forms of different opportunities for life experiences. I'm curious, I'm curious to ask, uh, with your lucid dreaming, do you find that through your lucid dreaming that it shifted the way you interact in this world. Like, do you find that there was a benefit that you were able to extract through the lucid dreaming that you were able to parlay into this reality and how you interact? I think so. I mean, for example, all this entire conversation we're having couldn't happen without those experiences because I'm not a person that talks from, I don't like belief. Uh, I do like direct experience. I think it's a powerful teacher, so... Had I not had a precognitive dream, I would never have been able to talk about it because I wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't think it was real. Um, there's a lot of things that people assume that I will then entertain as being real, but if I don't have a direct experience with it and I don't have the evidence, um, I just leave those in the realms of possibility. So um, what I take back from a lot of these experiences, it has taught me a lot of empathy and compassion and kindness and love and these virtues. Um, of how important it is to be good to one another, um, that we're all interconnected. So, you know, it's made me uh, a lot more humble, I guess, my relationships with other people, because I know what wears the mask. I know what I'm looking at when I'm with other people and where they really are in this bigger picture. And I have a lot of respect and reverence for that. So it just made me a nicer person. <laughs> That's a good benefit. Yeah, so. There's a lot of people who could use some lucid dreaming that I know of. <laughs> Yeah, and it's made me appreciate, like, in in this lifetime, because now I have this perspective of not wanting to be here. It's not that bad. I can't say that this is a terrible experience. And, you know, certainly I'm not in a trench right now getting my head blown off, although there's always a risk. I mean, there's a risk of war erupting in the world. But, you know, if humanity could wake up out of its slumber and realize, I mean, the potent truth I could give is that, yeah, you're you're not killing somebody else. Or is it you're pitting against other people is really aspects of yourself that really are, really are that interconnected. So I don't want to participate in, mm. I would, in that other lifetime. I would imagine that you also have a, a better, like a sense that you do control your own reality. Um, Not really. I'm more of a coexisting kind of, I like the idea of not trying to 
make it all about me while I'm here that, you know, I'm not being completely in an ego where it's all about me. I'm into the coexisting. I'm into to the relationships with people and things like that, that I don't like controlling. I'm more about, you know, coexisting, cooperating and being a part of. So that's kind of my flow. So, uh, but it is nice when you can do things like save your life. You can intervene and stop yourself from getting smucked by a truck. That's a great value to me. See, and it hasn't made me a millionaire, but then I don't seek fame or fortune or all these things. They're not. No, but I think what Lisa's trying to say is that you don't see yourself as having no role in creating what's in front of you. Like you understand that. I see see that relationship. Not that it's all about you, but that you actually do are, you know, responsible or you create what it is that you bring into your life yeah i participate in the creative process is how i like to say Mm -hmm. it but uh you know i mean i I can't really complain i got a beautiful daughter and very lucky person that way and is she dreaming uh, she's she's uh she's had a few dreams come true and you know her mom's not very supportive of this kind of stuff um even though her father's also had those types of experiences but she hasn't so she's pretty still locked into her belief systems that you know she just thinks i'm crazy you know despite all of this even when i prove it to people you always have that stigma because you're now being different um that the average person because they can't relate through their experiences you make the automatic assumption that it's and that something i call it the grief of disbelief so i've got to enjoy that but i accept that that's completely fine i'd rather answer these questions myself than you know, not. So uh, I'm here in my own personal sojourn trying to understand my relationship with reality as a student of reality, a student of the self, and only can encourage that in other people. Like, we should all endeavor to come into a higher state of consciousness and a higher knowing um, because it is there, and we do access it every time we sleep. There's a, there's a huge, huge inner cosmos that we're all connected to, and it's fun to surf there. You've written some, have you written, you've written a couple of books? Yeah, I've written, um, I have a, about five floating around. I think the fifth one's not online yet, but I've, my first book was A Course on Consciousness. I wrote that back in 1998, again, after doing, you know, going through these, these amazing epiphanies with precognition and lucid precognitive dreams. I, that was my first attempt to try to get that information out to people. So I put it on the internet back in 98. It wasn't very good. I mean, it was my first book. I was young and I didn't develop the rewriting skills. So it was kind of crude. I thought I've revamped it. Um, and then I wrote uh, You Are Dreaming, which is a lucid dreaming book, which gets into the, you know, kind of my perspective of dream mechanics and approaching it as a programming language using thought to shape and form dreams. And then I wrote um, Deja Rave, which was a paper on, you know, dreams linked to our deja vu experience. And of course, then I wrote the uh, theory of precognitive dreams after avoiding that final destination. And uh, then I wrote Living a Dream That Lasts a Lifetime, which addresses kind of my perspective that we should consider that, you know, dreams are the forge of all of our experiences that were, you know, for those of us willing to go through that process and wake up here, that you're living the, you know, this is just yet another plane of existence, another dream in this universal dream that we're all sharing. So kind of tackles that idea. And uh, the other one that I'm working on right now um, is dealing with things like, you know, our spiritual amnesia, the immersion, the psychology of immersion, 
and belief in the place of knowledge and how belief can really trap us or enslave us into this very pinhole perspective of ourselves and how we need to chisel away those beliefs through self-edification to open up that pinhole and expand our opportunities for higher conscious experience. And where can people get those books? Are they all on your website or are yeah, they available through Amazon? They're on Amazon and you can get them the links through my website. Youredreaming.org is my website. And uh, of course, and you can also dig into genre specific lucid dreams and read the game of Thrones dreams and all the other fun ones that I've had. If that's kind of your thing and get some inspiration to do it yourself. <laughs> totally. Nicole's thing. totally going to do that. <laughs> totally gonna do it. <laughs> it's gonna be my it's gonna be my friday night <laughs> yeah I, I have probably by my first dream entry on that website is from 2010 i don't get a lot of time to journal dreams there's a lot that i i mean i could i'd be writing four to six hours a day uh dream journal entries if but you know in my waking life you know i work as a professional career and very important to my company and they I got a three-hour commute each day, and I often work 10 to 12 hours, sometimes 16 hours for my job, and it's been that way for 20 years. So I don't have a lot of, I make the time, but when it comes to dream journal entries, I only write the ones that I find the most entertaining uh, that'll Mm -hmm. make it to the website. Um, And some of the ones that have come true do kind of emerge on that side. I have a few good examples, and so there's an page there that you can look at, which I can touch a few of those ones. I like to use my voice memos to record my dreams in the middle of the night because I think I might forget or, you know, it's hard to write them down when you're so tired. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, the thing too is, is the sooner you can record your dreams or log them um, because dreams take place in our short-term memory during sleep, our hippocampus, our long-term memory sending information out. So it's not taking in that dream information for long-term storage. And that's why when we can wake up, there's also waking and do some amnesia, I call it, when your dreams just get flushed. All the memories just go away. Like, oh, I had this one. Oh, what, what, what did I dream? Oh, I thought I had a dream. It's interesting when you watch how, how this amnesic role plays in us. And again, this is the psychology of immersion. It's something that I'm trying to tackle in my fifth book. You know, are these challenges, these cognitive atrophic challenges and what we can do to improve those qualities? It's a tough one. Yeah, I was um I was just in a dream the other night. Um I I had not slept well the night before and so I actually dreamt this during a, a nap where I was in some sort of high school gymnasium that I've never seen before in my life, but uh there were two entrances, um one at the top where the the stadium like bleachers were and then one at the bottom and I was at the bottom and there was a guy walking and I could see in my dream in my mind's eye the guy walking down the hallway and he was going to enter through the top doors and I could tell that he was acting like he was a teacher in the school but he wasn't and I was got I started to get out of that that part of the gym through the bottom doors and as I did he came in and he saw me and I saw him and I got behind the door and he took out a gun and just started shooting this gun at the door and I remember seeing the bullet dent the door and it was so real and I remember running out of there as fast as I could to, and I remember thinking I need to exit this dream <laughs> I need yeah, to exit sure. this dream and then I found myself in an airport that was attached to the, <laughs> the the um high school thing and I was waiting for Lisa and Brian. I was like, we're supposed to go to Italy. We're going to Italy. Let's go to Italy. We need to get to Italy now. We need to get Italy now. Like when's our flight leaving? <laughs> Let's go. 
but that's the that's the thing about dreams is that there's you'll see it in my dream journal entries that I call it dream drama and things you know the dreams are very dramatic our subconscious mind's a wicked little role player you know look at it as you you know if you like role playing games you the dungeon master of perspective well it'll be like a dungeon master creating all these little encounters and events and stuff like that by our game master but uh you know it's a we do generate a lot of um what we process in our waking world so you know when you look at what's happening in the world today things like school shootings and all this fear and all this negativity well it affects us all um we're all connected all that ripples out into all of us so you can go to sleep and you will have anxiety dreams or dreams that try to process through these fears and you know, it's a big mixture and there's a lot of different types of dreaming. So dreaming isn't always about anxiety or fear. They can be about passion, desire, romance, you know. Yeah, those are the ones fiction. I want. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> that's what I'm more about. You know, I'm honestly, when, when I get into the real art of dreaming, it's really about being in the driver's seat and doing exactly that, directing your experience in that state to yield results that you want. And everyone's different. You know, I might like, the whole Game of Thrones genre, but somebody might not like it. They might like something completely different. Like, who knows? Sometimes I just like going out and being on a beach in a beautiful mountain and sitting on the sand and doing that in a dream and just admiring that art. Just going, wow, this is beautiful. It's perfect. It's it's so so realistic. Um, I sometimes just sit and meditate in my dreams too. You know, I just kind of live that second life the way I want to. And you know, that's all we all do. We all kind of go on our own journey with ourselves into these experiences but definitely the goal is always about creating something of value from it that's intrinsic yes i wanted to ask you a quick question before you go have you ever experienced in your dreams um working with people that felt like it was a different timeline than what i've definitely encountered i mean there's so much i mean we're talking when I look at all of the different experiences there, I mean, I've done stuff that seems to fit other different historical eras. You know, um, some of it, I wonder if it's just bleed from past lives that are coming through and just being that, that faint fragmented memory trying to restitch itself into my knowing. Um, I've also shared dreams with people. We never got to touch on that, but I've had shared dreams with over 14 people through the course of 32 years. Again, very rare. Not as much as I would like, but I also blame it on our dream illiterate society. Uh, I think we would have a lot more of that potential if people participated more in their experiences and find it would surface up. You, you mean like you you and someone else, you had this exact same dream? Like yep. you remember it exactly? It would be just like us meeting here. We'd have our little setting and our conversation. But the setting and environment that that's taking place in is in the dream state. And what's nice about it is dreams use a lot of symbolism. So they have a lot of abstract or non-realistic objects and things. And so it's neat when somebody can validate by seeing things that aren't from here, but are definitely from the dream state. And you can get those cues or even start talking about a conversation and then they finish off on what they were talking about in that conversation. So I've had a lot of really solid um, confirmations from not just one person, but many people throughout the years. I do have some examples on my website too. One where uh, a Shoshone dreamwalker who had heard about me wanted to try to share a dream with me and was successful. And I, I thought that was just really amazing because, you know, a lot of people take those steps to to do that. And um, I find me, I'm more of an opportunist. It just kind of happens in the dream state. I don't feel like 
you know, I just go to sleep and I can go, yeah, I'm going to go share a dream with this person. Boom, it's going to happen. Um, it just usually just happens as a part of that unfolding experience. And it just, you know, so I just go with the flow. I'm a very go with the flow kind of guy with all of that. But um, I've been around people too that uh, at work one time, three, three uh, uh, female workers were, who are friends, we started talking about their dreams. The next thing, all three of them discovered that they had the exact same dream and what was very cool for me to listen to it being I'm interested in this stuff that they start describing the exaggerated dream symbolism and each of them had their own vantage point and were describing the same thing from those vantage points to each other confirming it and they were also tripped out and didn't know what to make of it and then I stepped in we had someone <laughs> remember Nicole we had someone on our podcast early long long ago that had a shared dream it was something about peanut butter do you remember that? Yeah, on the yeah. plane. Um, Sabrina, not Sabrina. She dreamt with Sabrina. Um, yeah. Um, she talked about be- just you know saying, "Okay, let's meet up on the astral plane tonight and just remember certain details and see if you can remember particular details from the dream that link up." We should try that. Yeah. So definitely, a lot of potentials there for us to play around with and mm. i do encourage it i mean why not have, have those experiences because um, once you have them you, then you know it's not a belief all right lisa you and i we're going to florence tonight and we're meeting up at the uh <laughs> that restaurant oh okay bbq bbq okay Done. and i'm going to tell you what i ordered and i know what i'm ordering i'm going to see what you order <laughs> Oh, well, this has been great, Ian. Like, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all of your um, experiences and understanding. It's it when I was listening to you, it just blew my mind wide open of the possibilities of what we're actually capable and how much is available to us, not just in this waking reality, but in other realities when we're sleeping. All just focus states. You're just focusing your attention from being here to your being there. It's really that simple. Focused attention. I'm going to try that. Brian, are you going to try that? Are you going to try um, doing the steps that he provided in the beginning? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bad at. I'll remind him. He doesn't doing homework. homework exactly. <laughs> I, can, I can send uh, you guys a link to a free article I wrote on Reddit. Uh, called the progressive guide to lucid dreaming so you can also google progressive guide lucid dreaming and it'll pop up and it's kind of an entry level it covers two different types of ways to lucid dream from waking induced where you go to bed and you go and let the dream form around you to doing the reality checks and waking up while you're already in a dream so there's you know there's two different paths to kind of get there and i just focus i mean there's a lot of different techniques but you don't want to get over inundated by these techniques because your mind will get caught up in all of that it really is just a process of going with your already existing natural sleeping patterns and allowing allowing just the dream to form around you. It's, it's a very fine art of just allowing it to be as it should be and participating and cooperating with those shifts in consciousness. Oh, but it's awesome. just a focus state. It's not a difficult thing. I've taught, you know, I mean, you meet people that are hardcore skeptics. Oh, no, you, you can't have these experiences because I don't have them. And then I get into, you know, talking about consciousness during sleep and, you know, the fact that it's been proven, we've got fMRI scans, we've got EEG, it's a real thing. It's not some sort of hooey belief. You can be conscious during sleep as to what comes from that. You know, we can debate that there. And 
And the next thing I know, I'll bump into that person and they've had a lucid dream for the first time in their life. And they're like, oh my God, you know, you're right. You know, it's real. And I'm like, yeah, well, there you go. It's there for you every time you sleep at night. Participate in your dreams. Be conscious when you sleep. It's not about me and my journey doing that for 32 years. It's if that individual wants to do it for themselves. And it's just one of those things like going to the gym or playing a piano. It's a skill. You've got to yeah. work with it. <laughs> yeah. Like with anything, if you want to get exactly. good at something, you got to practice. We'll add that link to the show notes. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm I'm looking at it right now. So awesome, I got it. Yay! Well, thanks so much, Ian, for um, coming on the show. It was a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, I really enjoyed the conversation. I knew we would. It was a lot of fun. And you guys have some wonderful lucid dreams. I mean, your inner cosmos awaits you. Yeah, we may have to call you back and go over what we experience. <laughs> we do, especially if you have some great epiphanies that come from it. I always love that stuff. Yeah. Sounds good. Give it a shot. We will. Lisa, see you in Italy tonight. All right. Florence it is. <laughs> I didn't get invited, jerks. <laughs> you invited. <laughs> Brian's invited. Well, you're, you're, you're invited too, Ian. Oh, thanks. Florence yeah. tonight. Brian. Florence tonight. BBQ's restaurant in the artist quarter. We'll all meet up. <laughs> well, thanks again, um, Ian. And um, thank you to our audience for joining us once again. We love you all. Be safe. And we'll be back with you next week. Bye. Thank you all for joining our show. We appreciate you tuning in and supporting us. If you have any questions you would like answered on the show or any guests you would like to hear on our show, please email that information to us at info at enlightenup.us. And please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you're interested in contacting Nicole or myself for some coaching or any of the other services we provide, you can find out more about Nicole at inflexibleme.com and my website is lisaloveslove.com. Thank you again for joining us and supporting our show and we will be back with you all next week.